Welcome to Mind Rewind, a voyage through mental health journeys by those with the courage and desire to share their experiences with you. Through the insight and lived experience of others, you may find the tools and strategies that could benefit you and the strength to reach out for support. Listen and you'll hear messages of hope and that there is no obstacle that cannot be overcome when there is a willingness and bravery to tackle your challenges. Just a warning that some of the content of this story may be confronting for some listeners. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, speak with someone today. Please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, everybody. This is Jack Payne, and you're listening to Mind Rewind. And I'm really fortunate today to be joined by Lisa, who's going to share her story with me. I actually don't know very much about Lisa's story, so I'm going to learn with everybody else as we go along. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to also be um, the guest on the podcast. Instead of I know because myself, you are a so. podcaster <laughs> and you're, I would think, way more experienced at doing this than me. So you're <laughs> going to be more comfortable than I am, which uh, is quite ironic. Lisa, what I like to do is to start with where people are at now. Before we do the rewind and kind of understand what your journey has been and what the challenges might have been mental health-wise, is to go, you know what, this is where I am today, which is a a lovely starting point to pivot from. So can you share with us a little of where you're at today? Yeah, I would say that my mental health at the moment is in a, a pretty good place. I've been managing it for quite a while now. So I think I'd like to say that I understand, I guess, my triggers and when I'm starting to slip fairly well. It is a management, in my opinion, what I do. So I would say a couple of weeks ago, if you'd asked me that question, I may have said I wasn't in as good of a place. I'd had a few little things happen that had caused me to slip a little bit. But I would say today, I'm actually in a, in a very good place and very, very happy to be joining you to talk about mental health. Fantastic. Well, we picked the right day to book this in, didn't we? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> to get you to get you in a good space. I like yeah. what you say about look, when we have challenges with mental health, understanding what our triggers are and what we need to do to caretake ourselves. Because you, you're absolutely right. We need to manage it and knowing our triggers and knowing what works for us in managing it is really important. Can you share with us a little about what you do to manage it for you? Because it's different for each and every one of us. Absolutely. So I think there's like different elements of what I do to take care of myself. And I always, when I talk about it, a lot of it is just going back to basics. And I often describe myself as a bit of like a house plant in that I need to make sure that I'm having enough water and I'm, you know, feeding myself correctly because we brush over these things that are just so fundamental about what am I putting inside my body and have I got enough sunlight today? And often I'll come home from work at five o'clock and I don't have a backyard. I only have a front yard. I'm a little unit and I will lay out in the sun in my front yard for half an hour after work with sunscreen, of course, just to get, get your vitamin to get D. sunshine. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, those, those things, I make sure I exercise regularly. Um, I see a psychologist. At the moment, I'm seeing her probably every second month as mm-hmm. a, a check-in and a maintenance yeah, great. thing because that's what's right for me at this moment. But then there's different things that I do for um, management of my anxiety, for example. If I'm having a, a day where I'm quite anxious, I'll do crossword puzzles. 
Oh, why do you do crossword puzzles? I love that. Because if, like, when I'm really anxious and I'm um, escalating in my anxiety, uh, my brain is racing and I can't slow it down and stop it. And I find that if I sit down with a crossword puzzle, my brain can't focus on both things at the same time. So it can either choose to continue with its anxiety or it can choose to complete the crossword puzzle. Um, but it, it can't, can't do, do both. both. So um, usually the crossword puzzle will win. So that's like one of my like, you know, um, I guess a little bit of a different thing that I do to it's manage. It's brilliant. It's a distraction. You know, it's, and I hope every yeah. one of my clients is listening to this podcast because <laughs> I get sick of talking about finding ways to distract ourselves. And yeah. you know what? Actually being on social media and doom scrolling and whatever, mm-hmm. people claim that it works. I don't know. I'll challenge them on that. But I think yeah. things like crosswords where, where your mind is forced to think about something else mm-hmm. is a fabulous distraction tool, as yeah. would be Sudoku or, you know, any of those things that yeah. require us to really hook in to finish Mm -hmm. a a mini project of some sort. Yeah, and another one in the same um, sort of bucket, I suppose, is I'll take my car to the car wash and manually wash it myself. It is not something I enjoy doing whatsoever. But if I, I just find that for that, you know, 15, 20 minutes that I'm there and I've put my dollars in and I've had to go get change from the guy inside and I'm spraying the car off or I'm shammying it down, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just thinking about what I'm doing in that Disrupting task. the thinking. Yeah, and yeah. it gives me reprieve. It, like It's like it's relaxing because it allows my brain to stop for a moment in time and just focus on one thing. They're fabulous. So, okay, for everybody out there listening, <laughs> take the car to the car or go and get a bucket yeah. and a you know, sponge and do it out the front of your place. And yeah. any of you young people listening, offer to do it for your parents. It'll be double barrel because yeah. you get brownie points at the same time or a crossword, which I love. So I guess what I'm hearing is you do battle with anxiety. That's one of your things that you need yeah. to manage. And yeah. I don't know your story, but are there mood struggles that sit, have sat in with that as well because they often go together? Yeah, so I often explain my diagnosis as like a main meal of depression with a side salad of anxiety. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) So the main issue is the depression, but the anxiety will pop up um, at times as well. Okay. Well, th- that's probably a good point for us to go because you're going, look, I'm, I'm pretty well managed at the moment. Life's good. I kind of know what to do with myself. I know when I'm starting to, to slip and how to manage that. Let's rewind it a little bit and go, okay, when did you realize that these are the things that, that you were going to have to do battle with? I became aware of it in the year out of year 12, so year after okay. high school. So this was in 2006. So that was quite a while ago. And like nothing happened to me. Like I came from a a good home. I had a good education. I had a lot of friends and I was, you know, good at school. Nothing big or traumatic happened to me that you would look back and be like, oh, that's what caused you to start to slip. No idea what happened. Just over time, I stopped doing the things that I enjoyed doing. I had been a dancer my entire life. I stopped dancing. Over time, it became very difficult for me to leave the house. I would end up in tears before I had to go out. And after school finished, I would uh, go off to work in the morning, come home from work, get straight into bed and only get out of bed to eat dinner, which mum was still living at home at that time. She would have cooked and then I'd get back into bed. And it happened very gradually over time that I didn't really 
know that there was anything wrong because it just kind of became normal that that's how I was. It's the and drip, drip downwards, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so it's not like one day I just woke up and felt like that. It gradually occurred over time. And like to think back to where it started, yeah, there's not really an event or something that happened. It was just a gradual occurrence. Was that hard? And, and I'm curious around that because you're not the first person that's shared a story where when they've recollected their kind of adolescence, they've gone, there was nothing big. I had a pretty much a white bread existence and, you know, there's mm. nothing, there's no trauma, there's no terrible situation with friendships or anything like that. They almost go, I had no right to feel the way I did because everything was okay. Mm -hmm. Was it a battle for you to accept that there was a problem given it was hard to put your finger on causation? Yeah, it was really difficult to to sort of figure out. I guess like now, I, like I'm, I'm 35 now, so and I've done a lot of work on myself since that time. So now I guess in reflection, looking back, I can sort of pinpoint different things that would have influenced me at the time. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of work around my self-worth, which at that time wasn't very good. So um, there was that and, you know, being cheated on by a high school boyfriend or something like that, you know. There's little things like that that would have definitely contributed to how I was feeling, but not a, yeah, a big one big event or something like that. Was it you who recognised first that maybe this was a problem or was it brought to your attention by people who love you and were around you who noticed and experienced you differently? I absolutely did not recognise. Oh. It was my mum. So I'm very lucky I have a, a very good relationship with my mum then and now. Amazing mum. And so as I said, I yeah was living at home still and – she started to realize the change in me. So, because what would happen is I would snowball things that would occur. So, it might have been a small little disagreement or a small thing that happened and my brain would do is it would take that and it would like rolling a snowball in the snow until it, it got very big. And an example of this I like to tell is one day that I went to play tennis <laughs> And I'm not a sports person and I went with my high school boyfriend and he um, was very good at sport. And it was a nice day. I thought, let's just go out and we'll do something outside. And so he would hit the ball over the net and I just, I couldn't hit it back or you know, like I would miss it or I'd hit it and it would go the opposite direction or something like that. Maybe someone with a, a regular thought pattern would just be like, oh, it's okay. We're here to have fun. I'll just try again. Don't worry. Here for the shits and giggles, I call it. Yeah, like we're outdoors, it's a good day. Yeah. What my brain would do is it would take something like that. So it would go from being you're not good at tennis to you're not good at sport to you're not good at anything to everyone knows you're not good at anything and actually no one really likes you and you shouldn't be here and the world would probably be better if you weren't here. Wow, from missing a shot. Yeah, from a game of tennis, which okay. like obviously is now. And so like now I realize that that is not normal, but that's what would happen all the time. Okay. And when it would escalate to that, of course, it would end in tears because I was miserable. And mm. my mother was the one who would often see the aftermath of that. Okay. And she would overhear the, the, the crying or the tears. She was the one that realized that something was wrong at that time. And so what did she do to help slash support you with it? 
It's a difficult conversation for a parent to have, especially at that point in your life. You're not 12 anymore, is to tell an adult child that I'm experiencing you differently and maybe there's something we need to check in on here. Yeah. Like, I wish I could remember the exact conversation, but my memory is dreadful. But I do know that she just broached it in a very casual manner. She's a nurse herself. Okay. Um, She would have been exposed to it in work. And she just was very supportive and said, like, you know, I've noticed that you've had a bit of a change and that you aren't seeming very happy. And then she made the suggestion that we just make an appointment to see the GP. And she worked at a, a clinic at the time. We went to that appointment together, which was wonderful. At that time, in 2006, no one was really talking about mental health. Or so that was my experience anyway. Perhaps not the way we are today. Yeah. For sure. And from that um, conversation with the GP, I was put onto a mental health plan. The doctor asked me um, a series of questions about how I was feeling and how often I felt different ways. And then um, an appointment was made with a psychologist. And that was actually through her works um, employee assistance program at the time. It was, I think I got X amount of visits covered by her workplace, which was incredible, absolutely incredible. And I do know that there are a lot of workplaces out there that do offer that still now. And now I would argue it's there's been an explosion in it. Workplaces are very, very good about providing EAP. I started working with that psychologist and the suggestion was made very early on to try medication. And just through conversation with my parents or with my mum at that time, we decided first we wanted to try just speak, just talk therapy first Mm -hmm. and then see after I'd seen the psychologist if um, if that would be an avenue we went down or not. Yep, Um, sounds sensible. So it was actually offered as a first kind of option. It was offered by the GP in that first um, appointment, which I have my own opinions about. I do think medication plays a very vital role in mental health. I just think perhaps it should be after an appointment with the psychologist, depending, of course, on each On the situation. And look, Absolutely. I'm with you. I have a, a pretty robust opinion on it, and it is definitely that I am supportive and I don't work in the medical model, so... You know, I definitely defer to people who know that stuff way better than I do, but I will always say at best it will do 50% of the job. Yeah. You still have work to do therapeutically. Absolutely, yeah. So then, yeah, I started working with that psychologist and we were using um, different cognitive behavioural therapy aspects like working through why I was thinking the way I was thinking and, and how I could stop myself when I started to escalate and things like that. And that was extremely helpful. Were you aware that you had those thinking styles? I, I, I Obviously, I work with young people a lot and I call it stinking thinking with them. I go, yeah. you do a lot of thinking, <laughs> but a lot of it is just rubbish. Did yeah. you have an awareness that your thinking was probably the core of the problem? Yeah, not until I started working with this psychologist. Okay, that's, that's really interesting for other people to hear, I think, is yeah. that sometimes we just don't have the awareness that what we're doing is part of the issue and if we can disrupt it, if we can change it, that's yeah. that's where the healing or the repair work comes from. Yeah, and for me, I liken this moment of like working with a psychologist and finally realising that it wasn't normal. It was around the same time that I realised that I needed glasses So I didn't know 
that there was anything wrong with my eyesight because I had lived with it for 18, 19 years. And it's not that I was blind, but I, you know, you know, people would have to be quite close for me to see the outline of their face or street signs and things like that. But it and was your normal. Day, it was yeah. normal to me. So I didn't know any different. And then one day I was at the old what is it like footy park or whatever at Westlakes with a girlfriend and we'd gone to see a football game and she put on her glasses to watch the game and I said to her oh let me try them on I want to see what they look like on me and I put them on (laughs) and for the first time I could actually see what was happening it was a revelation you you had no idea how blind you were (laughs) I need glasses myself that's a great story it wasn't until Something like I had yeah. those glasses on that I realized there was something wrong. Yeah. And that's similar to what I was saying in terms of the, the psychologist. It wasn't until she started breaking things down for me and, and asking me, yeah, but why do you think that or why do you feel like that's normal or how can we look at this differently that I realized what my brain and my thoughts had been doing to me for so long. So it was, yeah, very, very interesting. How long before you were able to do the work. And I'm, um, by that, I mean not necessarily in with the therapist because the therapist really what, what they essentially are doing is raising self-awareness. That's what I always mm-hmm. say our job is. We raise mm-hmm. self-awareness for patterns and things that we, people are doing that they, they sometimes don't realise that they're doing as you've just described. But how long did it take you to walk out the door and start doing things differently? Because that's where the real change comes from. You know, at that time I was quite motivated so I feel like I did take a lot of what she um, those tools that she gave me and really put them into Into practice practice in real life quite soon I'm an avid journaler and like I have diaries from when I was like five or something and I still have every single one of them and I yeah and so I have the diaries from this time in my life and I can see you know after going to see her, what I've written, and then I've written about the different strategies and and how I've tried to employ them in life. And so I feel like I did take a lot of that straight out into my life. In saying that, I would say that there were times where I moved away from it because maybe, you know, healing isn't linear. Like we don't just, you know, go to see a therapist and then everything's okay. You know, I would have employed these things and started to definitely see an improvement. And then there would have been times, you know, probably within that same 12 months where things started to drop off again for whatever reason, if I was triggered by something or if it seemed like too hard and then I would just, you know, slip again. And then I would notice that I was getting bad again or, you know, yeah. And then I would need to sort of, pull myself out of that a little bit and and that wasn't always done by me you know the pulling out that was done by the people who are around me who supported me and cared about me it was done by my therapist but yeah I think it's it's a it's a constant employment of those you know we're constantly coming back to the things that we learn and maybe we'll use them for a period of time and they'll be really helpful and then maybe it'll drop off and then down the track we use them again. I love that and, and you said exactly what I hoped you would say <laughs> which is it's not linear it's two steps forward and one no. step back and and that's a yeah. really important point to make because often especially with really young people they 
come out of, of a dark patch and, you know, they can feel the improvement and, and things are moving in the right direction again. And then they hit a challenge or a roadblock. And there's a, what I call it a wobble. Well, they have a wobble, but they become terrified that they're back in that. I'm heading back to that place again. And I go, you know what? Once you've got the self awareness, yeah. it, it is almost impossible for you to end up back at that place again because you know too much about yourself to allow it to happen. Mm. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have struggles. You will. You know, that's life, but you won't end up in that really dark place, which is kind of what you've described. Then I have to re-employ what I know. I've got to ask you about journaling. I'm really curious because <laughs> I, I often recommend it. No one ever takes it up. Yeah. What do you get out of it? Because it's a really beautiful thing to do. Yeah. So I will go through phases where I'll journal all the time and then sometimes I won't journal for a mm -hmm. long time. But how it's really helped my mental health is that when there's a lot going on in my head and especially if I'm quite anxious, it's very hard to deal with what's going on up there. So by just opening up the journal or the diary and just putting every dumping everything mm. that's in my head, it's like I've opened it up, scooped everything out and just putting it onto the paper, it's like I I clear space back inside my head. So I just take all of this and put it here onto the paper and then maybe I'll do something with it and maybe I won't. But I've relieved my thoughts a little yeah. bit. Opened up some real estate. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be writing something down because it's what I'm thinking and then actually reading it, I'm like, oh, that's not correct. Like, you know, that's why I love often, people capturing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, often, it, like, I'll be writing horrible things about myself because a lot of the issues that I had, especially when I was younger, was my self worth. And, you know, I, I didn't like myself very much at all. So, you know, when you're writing down or you're ugly and you're fat and you're gross and all these things about yourself, to actually read that back is very confronting. And I'm like, oh, actually, I'm, I'm not those things. I'm actually a good person. So, you know, people do want to spend time with me and, you know, I'm not useless, which was a common catchphrase of mine. For me, that's how I use journaling. When it's there's a lot going on, let's clear up some space by putting it onto paper. To have a mind dump. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about some of those horrible, irrational thoughts that you had, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the big one is I'm useless. So there's a, mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole lot of fragility around self-worth sitting in that space. Mm -hmm. How low did you get at times? Yeah. I think when it was at its worst and my brain would be racing and, you know, from a simple thing like a game of tennis, I've ended up at you're useless and you're not worthy of being here. It probably got to its worst, I would say, maybe within that same 12 months and it got to the point where I started to self-harm. Okay. And I never had um, full-blown suicidal thoughts by any means. I just thought that life was too hard and I didn't know what to do with that. And so the self-harm became a coping mechanism for me because I didn't know what else to do in that moment. Can I ask what it gave you? I'm very much someone who honours the fact that people get something out of it. That's why they choose to yeah. do it or choose it as a yeah. coping mechanism. And what people get out of it is very different for each and every one of them. Obviously, we would much prefer that you made healthier choices, but yes. we get it. This one, you know, for yeah. some extent works. What did you get out of it? Relief. Yeah, okay. Because when I was doing 
that and I was cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, my brain couldn't focus on two things at a time, similar to a much healthier version of the crossword. So this is a substitute, right? Yeah. So, okay. you know, this is when I was escalated and escalated and escalated and uh, like a volcano, like doesn't know what to do, it's about to erupt, I would self-harm and it would stop my brain because it couldn't focus on both things at the same time. And that was because, like I said, at that time I didn't have any other way of coping or I didn't know what to do with myself in that moment. And as soon as it was done, I was so ashamed. I wished I hadn't done it and I would, you know, I'd be in the middle of summer and be wearing, you know, a sweater or I would be trying to wear things to Long cover sleeved. my arms. Yep. I didn't want anyone to know. Um, you know, there's a common misconception that it's people uh, self-harm for attention and that could be the case in, in, for some people. But that, I'd argue it's me, rare. Like, yeah, that's just was not, you know, as soon as it was done and then I had to wait for it to heal. So then you spend, you know, the next couple of weeks, I would spend that trying to hide what I had done. And that was, I think, a mixture of being, as I said, um, ashamed or embarrassed about it. And also because I didn't want anyone to worry. Like I didn't want to cause harm or hurt to my family to know that I had done that. I would say, yeah, that was the peak of it being at its worst. That's really tough. And and how did you move away from using that as a coping mechanism? So I always say, how did you end up learning to sit with the wave? Because obviously one of the descriptors we use is it's like this wave crashing over you that if you can actually sit with the discomfort Mm -hmm. and allow that wave to crash, it -hmm. will dissipate. That feeling and the desire and the urge will lessen. How did you get to that point? Because you obviously have. So tell us your story around that. I think for me it came with learning over the years. So especially in those early years, you don't know where anything's going to go. Whereas now if I was to feel that build up or have a fleeting feeling of that I might have wanted to do that, what I do is, and that's because I have that self-awareness, is that I just remind myself that it's not going to feel like this tomorrow or it's not going to feel like this in a couple of hours or the saying of this too shall pass you know and sometimes I just put myself to bed you know if it's in an evening or an afternoon or something and I've gotten to this point I know I'm not going to feel this bad in the morning so you're just going to bed well I'd way rather (laughs) people took to their bed yeah absolutely (laughs) than than hurt themselves and then have to live with that self-fulfilling prophecy of yeah now I'm ashamed of what I've done see I really am a useless bad hopeless person yeah or I would depending on you know where exactly my heads are is I would make myself go to see somebody as in I would take myself to a friend's house and go and connect and be with another human yeah yeah, and okay. I wouldn't necessarily tell them what had happened, but I would just put myself in the presence of somebody else so that I'm not alone with my thoughts because now I've got to have a conversation with you so I can't focus on how bad I am, yeah, how bad I'm feeling. Yeah. Fantastic. So you moved out the other side of it. 
Yeah. And as I said, like, you know, and you said as well, like mental health, it's not linear and and this is something that I I manage all the time, but I've grown and I don't, you know, I I don't find myself quite in the same places that I did before. And, And that's just through learning and being kind to yourself because we all make mistakes, we all slip up and we're human. Absolutely. Yeah. We grow with time and we learn what helps us and what doesn't help us. And we just work with that. So you were saying, which I really loved the connection of, you know, what started as mood, sliding mood, ended up with this secondary anxiety hanging off the side of it. How did anxiety manifest for you? Because I know so many people out there struggle with this. I think it can be different at different times, but often it would start off with me just feeling a little bit sick. So like in the pit of your stomach sort of feels like the the crazy butterflies in yep, your stomach yep. kind of thing. And depending on how much it escalated, you know, I might lose my appetite. I won't be able to eat. I will struggle to leave the house. Like if I'm supposed to be going off to work or off to a social event or something, it'll really take a lot of my strength and like having to like amp myself up to actually leave the house. And sometimes I'll have to say to myself, you know, all right, well, you just just go for it. Not to work, but just go for an hour and then you can come home, you know, and knowing when to push yourself and Mm. when not to push yourself. And again, That's a good point. this is a learned thing as well. Sometimes if I'm having a bad anxiety day, then I'll stay at home and that's okay. But I think, yeah, it's mostly, it is physiological. And I would say I had some, a couple of mild panic attacks a long time ago that resulted in, you know, the racing heart and the mm. labored breathing. And I remember having one at a bar job that I was working and having to like take myself off to the bathroom for 20 minutes to try to try to and bring yourself back down. down. In most of the cases with my anxiety attacks, I couldn't tell you why I'd had them. They had just manifested and not in the good way we talk about manifesting. Mm. <laughs> like I don't know necessarily where they came from and then on the flip side of that sometimes I'll have um, some anxiety if I've had low-lying constant stress in relation to something like if I'm organizing an event often I have to really manage my anxiety around that because my brain will be trying to run at 120% capacity trying to organize something so I have to manage my anxiety in relation to that to that and it's interesting, and I hear it a lot. People will, will say that the, you know their anxiety ramps up, and they can end up in panic. And I'll go, "What were you thinking about?" And they go, "I don't know," or "I wasn't thinking at all." And mm. like, okay, that's interesting because I think a lot of it is driven by thinking. But then I think there's a there is a component where people suddenly feel fear, and that's what anxiety is rooted in yeah. fear. So not being aware of what they're fearful of. Now I'm I'm thinking, you know, working in a nightclub if I put myself in that position or as a bar <laughs> and it's busy and there's and, and sensory overload itself you know that would come yeah. with that environment is that fear can be triggered even though there's nothing to necessarily be fearful of but I love that you would just take yourself away 20 minutes mm. calm mm-hmm. yourself down and then bring yourself back which is yeah. you know how we actually push through the fear is to face it yeah it's to get back in that environment that Otherwise, we start to create a story about I can't be in a bar or I can't be in that environment. And that's not helpful because then we start avoiding. Yeah. And I 
hate avoidance is a great <laughs> strategy and I'm really happy to even use the word hate because I think avoidance <laughs> is, you know, it creates a, another whole subset of issues. So, yeah, you know, I, I love that you kind of described settling yourself and then coming back, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It's a really interesting story because, as you say, from the initial kind of understanding that something was wrong, that didn't even come from you. It came from someone else mm-hmm. but wasn't necessarily rooted in a big experience or a toxic experience or a, you know, traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. It was just a drip, drip effect where your mood came off. And as a result of your mood coming off and what often happens is we don't feel like doing the things that we once felt like doing. So we stop engaging with yeah. things, which of course, you know, just exacerbates the problem because we start hibernating away in our bedroom. And of course, spending 20 out of 24 hours in your bedrooms is certainly not going to help, but you don't realize that you're falling down that path but you've learned a lot along the way and I wonder what Lisa today with that learning and understanding about herself would tell her 19 20 year old Mm. self what would you tell her I would probably start by telling her how worthy she is as I mentioned that that was a huge part of my undoing was my self-worth and how loved she is. And I think I would say to her that it is going to be okay and that I'm stronger than I think that I am and that actually going through what I'm about to go through as an 18 or 19-year-old is going to make me the person that I am now at 35 and I wouldn't actually change that. For the world because I'm very grateful for who I am now and the growth that I've had and the fact that because of what I've been through with my own mental health I'm now able to help other people who are going through something. We'll wrap up with that even though you know it's a beautiful story and I could ask you a lot more questions but <laughs> I think it's it's lovely to bring that bit in, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the wounded healers, we call them, having your experience and then being able to help other people. So how do you go about doing that now? In lots of ways, which I'm very grateful for. And I think I'm going to, I just want to tell one really quick story. Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> so the reason that I do now what I do with mental health is because it was the gift that was given to me. When I first started seeing my psychologist, she introduced me to me to Beyond Blue. At that time, they were doing like little blue plastic wristbands. Everyone was wearing them and all different charities had them. So I'd been to the Ramsgate, which is a local beach pub in Adelaide, and one of the bartenders was wearing one of these wristbands. And obviously, I noticed it and it was a conversation starter in which he then told me what he had been through with his own mental health. And it was the first time that I didn't feel alone in my own journey Um, and I felt less isolated. No one, I, I had never spoken to another person my age that had been diagnosed with depression or anxiety. And that had such a huge impact on me, just him sharing. But once I had gotten to myself to a healthy place, I knew that that is what I wanted to be able to do for other people. And, you know, if, if just to help one person, that was worth it. Absolutely. So then I went on to become a youth ambassador for Beyond Blue. 
back when I was still qualified as youth. <laughs> I, I, You're still young I'm in my eyes, honey. I'm too old now to be part of that. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> and, well, like, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But so I did, <laughs> I did some speaking at schools and to media groups and whatnot there. And obviously over the years I did multiple different things. Now I work alongside Breakthrough Foundation as a part of their Women's Wisdom and Wellbeing Group and we go out to different regional areas of South Australia and I tell my lived experience. Um, but um, my baby of 2022 was my own podcast called High Tide, Low Tide. So similar to the wonderful things that you're doing with your podcast and just allowing a space for people to tell their journey with their mental health and connect because there's such a power in it for the person who's telling their story and owning it. And a lot of the time for the very first time. Yeah. But the ability there is for anyone, anywhere in the world to listen to a podcast and resonate with somebody's story, that power is just huge. And to be able to potentially help somebody, maybe save somebody's life, maybe make an impact for the positive in someone's life is just incredible and that's why I'm, I'm so grateful to you for having me on to tell my story and for the work that you're doing as well because the more of this we can do the more we're going to be able to help the other people out there in the world who are just humans trying to make the best out of their life and be as happy as they can be well thank you they're lovely words and and i you know i'm really glad you've mentioned your own podcast so anyone who wants to hear more stories can definitely you know hop over onto lisa's podcast as well and hear similar things i love what you started that with which is that the Beyond Blue, and I remember them, the rubber mm. kind of bracelet things, yes. is that in that moment when you connected with somebody else where you saw the bracelet, you didn't know, you, you no longer felt as alone. And I think mm. that was the inspiration for me to do this was simply yeah. that I, I know that young people in particular at nine or 10 o'clock at night, I wanted them to have something rather than scrolling on a phone to go, because yeah. I know that they're not going to read a book because I try and tell them to read and they're not interested. But I thought <laughs> if I could steer them to a story yeah. that they could hear somebody else has experienced really tough times and what worked and what didn't work sometimes, there is hope that people come out yeah. the other side of it. I agree. There's enormous power in people sharing their stories. There's a vulnerability. So I know that it's not easy to do. So I'm incredibly grateful for you a, giving us the time today, but also sharing what you've experienced and what worked and the fact that, you know, right now and today and whatever happened last week or the week before, right now you, you yeah. feel pretty good and, yeah. and that you're out in the world doing wonderful work, sharing the story going, you know what? Hey, there's a lot of us out there yeah. that do battle from time to time. You know, we've, we've had some really tough periods, but, and, and we will always have challenges, but actually if we learn about ourselves, and what helps that we can take care of ourselves and we won't go to that place of feeling worthless, which I think is, you know, that's a beautiful message to send out. So Lisa, I mustn't take any more of your time. You've already been so generous with us. I'm hoping people will reach out and go and listen to the stories that, that you are sharing out there in the world. And um, I thank you for your time today and take care of you because you're so worthy. All right. Thank you so much. And yeah, I appreciate you having me on very, very much. Thanks, Lisa. Take care. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mind Rewind. Subscribe for free for future episodes. And if you're interested in sharing your own journey, please contact us at beanstalkconsulting.com.au. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14.